Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Merry Christmas. On AM560. Ho, ho, ho. The Answer. Stop the morning, Dan and Amy. Meet the anti-Ben Bradley. His name is Michael Markellos. Have you gotten your property tax bills? Yeah, you've gotten them. They came just recently. Oh, yeah. I sent mine to you. Is that okay? How'd you fare? <laughs> um, I held six... strong. What's that? Oh, I said sounds I like strong. It sounds like it knocked the voice right out of you, that tax bill. <laughs> I know. It's awful. I'm losing my voice. Well, actually, I've lost my voice, but I'm going to try to get through it. Um, hey, keep yeah. it down over there. Uh, <laughs> Kim Carnes joining us this morning. Uh Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six da turnkey dot pro text line. Now I've heard varying stories. I've heard stories from like friends on the North Shore that they actually saw a slight decrease in their property taxes. Don't uh, get used to that. But that was not the case of the Markellos, uh, Michael Markellos and his mom. Story brought to us by ABC Seven. The uh, rare occasion, so we should mark it when the local network news affiliates do an actual story of interest. Uh, they own a 10-unit apartment building in Lincoln Park. Well, they do for now, but if they have to pay the property tax bill they received in the mail, they won't for long. Take a listen. The I-Team is looking into one case where a family says their modest apartment complex could go bankrupt. That's because they're faced with a 440% increase in property taxes. This 700-square-foot, one-bedroom apartment will now cost Michael Markellos $17,494 in property taxes for one year. This has put us in a tremendous financial bind because the building now has gone negative between all the bills. Markellos and his mother own this 10-unit Lincoln Park apartment complex. Last year's tax bill for all 10 units combined was $23,674. But now look at this. The same 10 units are now $128,282 this year, up 440%. I was outraged. These are basically simple one-bedroom apartments for people, for, you know, college graduates who work downtown. The majority of the annual increases are from the latest installment of tax bills just sent out at the beginning of December. The payment is due before the end of the year. And in just a few months, another installment of taxes will be due. Merry Christmas and Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Markello says the only way to pay for the recent tax hike would be to raise the rent on the one-bedroom apartments. The increase, he says, would scare renters away. We'd have to go up to $5,000, $6,000 to pay all the bills. And no one's going to pay that. Well, who in their right mind is going to pay for it? Markellos' attorney is appealing the increase with the Board of Review and the Cook County Assessor's Office, which assesses properties and determines how much to bill. How hard is this for you? Uh, financially, it's basically it's putting the building in bankruptcy. I would like the assessor to come out here 
and just take a look at this unit and tell me this is worth 17000 in taxes. <laughs> and if you watch the piece, the 700-square-foot unit in his 10-unit building is not worth seventeen grand in taxes. I'll just uh, clue you in on that. Uh, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636DA, turnkey.pro, Te- text line. I'm not laughing at the situation Markellis finds himself in, although he's in pretty good humor about it, uh, but it's sort of a laugh-to-keep-from-crying situation, as is the case uh, continues to be the case with property taxes. We haven't focused on this issue as much over the last year and into this mayoral campaign cycle because, of course, public safety so dominates the discussion, and rightly so. But uh, you still have this underlying problem in Chicago and Chicago land. in case you didn't yeah. know, that you don't own your home. It is just collateral for somebody else's guaranteed seven-figure pension. And, of course, that 440% increase that Mr. Markellos is in not so enjoying with respect to his apartment building. Where's the majority of that money going? Chicago public schools. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, and uh, my, you can't put a price steady, on my, quality my, K through twelve education. Uh, my my property taxes held steady, but my neighbors went up seven thousand dollars. I'm like, well, I mean, you can fight it, but. I don't know. Sure. Hire Ben Bradley or uh, Madigan <laughs> Getzendainer or uh, Daily George or Ed Burke. I mean, he hasn't gone to trial yet. He's still got some time on his hands. He can show up to a, a board of a review appeal and uh, see if he still has some relationships that could aid and abet your property tax bill. I, I mean, it's just. I, well, I'm, he suspended I, them so we wouldn't get them during the midterm election. Yeah, it was th- right. Thank God Markellos didn't get that tax bill before oh, November 8th, right? Yeah. And so many other residents of Chicago in particular. Now, of course, they say, oh, well, this is, you know, it was the, the assessor's office responded saying, well, you see, these uh, buildings, these 10 unit apartment buildings have been classified as commercial and they really should be residential. So he was actually getting a tax break all this time. And uh, this is more in line with what he should be paying. Well, I mean, you heard with, well, OK, if that's what you think, if that's what you think the market rate is, then that puts the market rate for a 700 square foot apartment in uh, his place in Lincoln Park, which is very modest. And you see it from the pictures uh, in the story that puts uh, the rent at five thousand dollars. So, I mean, right. Um, if you think that is something the market can bear in Chicago, then Fritz Kagey and company go right ahead. Uh, he knows better, doesn't he? Uh, and of course, the other problem is it's it's arbitrary, it's unknowable. Uh, there's no there's no advance warning. This thing just shows up in the mail, and you were paying twenty three, and now you're paying you know one twenty three, um, and 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 so it, you don't have the rule of law. You have the rule of mystics. You have the arbitrariness of it all, uh, because it is not simple. It is not straightforward. It is not predictable. And so you wait with, uh, you know. Uh, you know, in, in a state of fear every time your uh, first installment comes to give you an indication of what your property tax bill that year is going to be, particularly if you're part of the group that's uh, in a triennial reassessment year. Uh, now, they, they, the the assessor's office will say, well, well, you know, maybe since it's just him and his mom owns the apartment building that we could there's a possibility of getting it redesignated as a commercial rather than residential to bring that bill down. Well, wait a second. I mean, not that I don't want to see Mr. Markellos's bill come down, but wait, wait a second. 
you said that he he was un, you can't have it both ways. He was unfairly getting a property tax break because it was improperly classified as commercial and not residential. Now you're saying because ABC Seven did a story on it. Well, maybe there's something we can do for him, and that's exactly the Chicago yeah, way. It. Yep. The, the yeah, yeah, maybe we can give him a special deal since you profiled him and we don't need the heat. Um, but the, the people that don't get profiled on the local news get shafted. That's that's a fair system. Tony in Downers Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Dan. You know, in times like this, there's one thing that he can do. Put on multiple drag shows at Park West. <laughs> Weekly, $5 a head. No pun intended. Ohio. And all the kids can enjoy. And he could raise money, then go have a little buffet at Twin Anchors. Have a Not good a Friday, bad. Dan. Yeah, thanks for the call, Tony. Um, and he could turn the property into a, a dope dispensary, maybe, if he could get zoned, zoned for that, although now he's zoned residential. I don't know if that flies. Make it a... See what else could he do here? Uh, what is acceptable? Uh, much less celebrate. Maybe can make it a uh, video poker game parlor. Oh, yeah. Get the rezoning to commercial and do that. That's that's appreciated, right? One of the industries that we favor, obviously, make it abortion mill. Turn it over to Planned Parenthood. Oh yeah, there you have go. them pick up that tab. And that's then they over, overnight stays there. Oh, make it an SRO. Yeah, like an SRO. Yeah. Sure. Right. Uh, help address the homeless problem. It's not bad. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of things he could do if he's a little creative. You just have ooh, to understand I know. which way could, the political winds are blowing. He could take in uh, illegal immigrants, asylum seekers. It's not bad. That could be a drop-off point for yep. the uh, buses coming from Texas and Florida. Yep. Straight to his house. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll get Markellos on the blower. We got like, some good ideas that he can choose from to see if he can salvage his money if not his property the story of living in illinois if i can salvage my money if not my property dan and amy chicago's morning answer the stories you need to know to start your day this is chicago's morning answer on am 560 the answer dan and amy get a couple of texts on the uh, markello story 440 percent property tax increase on this 10-unit apartment building in lincoln park from the Amish Texture, just follow our real estate tax expert, Governor Jelly Belly's lead, and remove the toilets. Um, you could do that, although I think it'd be difficult to charge $2,000 a month rent for those 700 square foot oh, units weird. if they don't have toilets. But anyway, uh, also, we have a resident uh, real estate expert uh, here in AM560, uh, Sean from Elmwood Park. Uh, he texted in, I don't know why he's up at this hour, but he texted in, properties with more than five units are part of the commercial realm because its primary purpose is to make money. The valuation of the building also differs for multifamily buildings, depending on whether it is commercial or residential owner occupancy being the determining factor. So um, more than five units, he's got 10. It's not owner occupied. This is absolutely should be uh, classified as commercial as it had been. And so this guy is getting reamed. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These 
These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. The answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The Alpha and Omega, the yin and the yang of Donald Trump on full display yesterday. His major announcement via his social media platform. My official Donald Trump digital trading card collection is here. These limited edition cards feature amazing art of my life and career. Collect all of your favorite Trump digital trading cards, very much like a baseball card, but hopefully much more exciting. Go to collecttrumpcards.com. Get your cards now. Only $99 each would make a great Christmas gift. Don't wait. They'll be gone, I believe, very quickly. And the uh, image of one card featured in the post is Trump in sort of like a Superman, a sculpted Superman outfit with, you know, his melon head on top of it. Oh, he looks like Iron Man. And then there's lightning coming out of his eyes. Uh <clears throat> Sorry. Perfect Christmas gift, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. These are NFTs, the non-fungible tokens uh, that, uh, uh, you know, the kids are uh, the kids are all talking about uh, there. Um, this is something that's so off-putting to many, most, everyone, even... Steve Bannon and Steve Cortez, and you're not going to find two more Trump loyalists than those two, were uh, expressed their criticism publicly of that. He's sort of losing focus, losing the narrative. It's sort of a garish, uh, look at me, hucksterish type of play, is what a lot of people are saying, and it's difficult to disagree with them, isn't it? He said, I, I can't do this anymore. He's one of the greatest presidents in history, but I got to tell you, Whoever, what business partner, anybody who told him to do this should be fired. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, Kathleen Turner is sitting in for Amy this oh, morning. Uh, Kim Carnes. That was uh, that was Steve Bannon. You were quoting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's embarrassing, Dan. I mean, didn't you die a little inside when you saw it? Well, um, no. I just, uh, you know, we had that conversation with Bill O'Reilly last week, or was it this week? I don't know. All the days run together. But um, asked him, I asked him, you know, is basically from your interactions with Trump and what you know about him as having just last year done a bit of an interview tour with him around the south and uh, southeast part of the country. Do you get the sense he's like Charles Foster Kane in Citizen Kane? He's sort of sitting alone in his Kublai Khan called Mar-a-Lago, you know, dreaming up all sorts of uh, publicity stunts and money-making schemes. I don't know. But here, here's the thing about it. So so everybody's saying that, and we're not everybody. We're different. So we go next level on this show. I said the yin and the yang. Everybody's just going to focus on the, the trading cards and 
take their uh, perfunctory shots at Trump. But then the flip side of it is he posts a message video where he rolls out his free speech as like five point free speech plan as a candidate for president in 2024. Here's what I would do if I was elected and, and took office and, you know, elected in 24, took office in 25, talking about the battle for a free people to be able to freely express themselves in a free society. So this, these, these things are happening uh, simultaneously. This is the great conundrum, frustration, however you want to view it, of Trump, dichotomy, bipolarity, I don't know. On the one hand, he's doing Trump trading cards, major announcement, 99 bucks to, you know, get an image of me dressed up like Iron Man or Superman. On the other hand, he's uh, posting a five-minute video giving, uh, where he explains a five-point plan to protect free speech in this country. Like, for example, here's a couple things he would do, beginning with federal uh, beginnings with firings in the federal government and prosecutions for people who violated the law. I will sign an executive order banning any federal department or agency from colluding with any organization, business or person to censor, limit, categorize or impede the lawful speech of American citizens. I will then ban federal money from being used to label domestic speech as mis or disinformation. And I will begin the process of identifying and firing every federal bureaucrat who has engaged in domestic censorship, directly or indirectly, whether they are the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Health, Human Services, the FBI, the DOJ, no matter who they are. Second, I will order the Department of Justice to investigate all parties involved in the new online censorship regime which is absolutely destructive and terrible, and to aggressively prosecute any and all crimes identified. These include possible violations of federal civil rights law, campaign finance laws, federal election law, securities law, and antitrust laws, the Hatch Act, and a host of other potential criminal, civil, regulatory, and constitutional offenses. Now, I, I don't uh, I have questions and concerns about some of the things he's proposing uh, because you don't want to combat uh, infringements on free speech by infringing on free speech. But I mean, you, he was careful to point out violations of established law. So that's an important distinction. But I mean, I, the bigger question is, how do you reconcile? How do you reconcile the two Donald Trumps, the trading card Donald Trump with the the, the president, Donald Trump, for the most part, the policy, Donald Trump. Can you anymore? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. He went on to talk about Section 230, which is a much bandied about provision of the Comms Act that is under uh, robust debate, has been for years now, that sort of crosses party lines in terms of whether or not social media companies should enjoy 230 protection and not be responsible for the content posted on their uh, platforms or whether they're because of they they do this content moderation they do they make editorial decisions they should be considered publishers and not sub subject to that protection stop funding 
a censorious nonprofits and universities with federal dollars, seven-year cooling-off period for deep state actors working for big tech. I got some questions about that, too, but you get what he's doing after seeing James Baker go from the FBI to deputy counsel at Twitter, for example. He also uh, ended his offering with a call for Congress to initiate a digital bill of rights for Americans. Fifth, the time has finally come for Congress to pass a digital bill of rights. This should include a right to digital due process. In other words, government officials should need a court order to take down online content, not send information requests such as the FBI was sending to Twitter. Furthermore, when users of big online platforms have their content or accounts removed, throttled, shadow banned, or otherwise restricted, no matter what name they use, they should have the right to be informed that it's happening, the right to a specific explanation of the reason why, and the right to a timely appeal. In addition, all users over the age of 18 should have the right to opt out of content moderation and curation entirely and receive an unmanipulated stream of information if they so choose. Now, again, whether you agree with this, uh, with, with the proposed federal interventions here or not, it's difficult to argue they're not substantive and not part of a legitimate discussion about social media companies in America. But I go back again, the bigger point, you know, at some point, can the bad you do or the antics in which you engage overwhelm the good you've done and might do? That seems to be the operative question for voters when it comes to Trump. And right now he's losing that question by about a two to one margin Uh, surveys out uh, 61 percent of Republicans prefer some other Republican nominee who would continue the policies Trump has pursued. It's just he shoots himself in the foot when he releases something like that on the same day he releases a trading card of himself. Right, because this substantive policy discussion is completely drowned out by what the shiny object, what everybody wants to talk about, the Trump trading cards and and most people talking about the self-indulgent Uh, as I said, garish nature of this offering that he made. Kevin Northfield, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Oh, you know, that Donald Trump, he's quite a card, you know, he's a card. Hi-oh. Okay. (laughs) It's quite quite an offering. Thank you, Kevin, for advancing the discussion so far. Tom and Deer Park, never Trumper. Hey, Dan and Amy, as much as I enjoyed... Um, watching ba- the clip of Bannon's war room as he was bookended by Steve Cortez and Dr. Gorka. I thought that the best quote of the day was the guy known as Baked Alaska. Uh, he tweeted out, he was the, uh, the guy that was arrested in the Capitol, one of the insurrectionists. I'm going to jail for a JPEG salesman. So I, I do get a big kick out of this. And I really thank you for allowing me to participate in this Trump world madness. This is it's better than when I was a little boy on Bozo Circus. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for the call, on boy. Yeah, I know the, the Never Trumper is very concerned about the future of democracy, and he sees Trump as a real threat to the democracy. That's why he is enjoying the entertainment. It's so dishonest, but that's what Never Trumpers like Tom, who fancy themselves uh, defenders of America's foundational values, are. They're frauds. So it's always interesting to 
hear a frog call out something else that's fraudulent, glass houses and whatnot. By the way, Dr. Gorka, since from our discussion yesterday, not a doctor. It's just Sebastian. <laughs> that's fine. Um, uh, just a point on that. But um, going back to, to Trump here, for, forget the never Trumpers. That's not who we're talking about. And that's not who's being surveyed right now. That's not uh, whose support he is losing. He's losing not again, you know, what, what's becoming a new category of Trump voters. Not again. Uh, Trump, not again. Uh, James Freeman had good write up in the journal about this. Not again, Trump voters. Uh, people who voted for Trump, uh, whether enthusiastically or because he was voting against, because he was running against Hillary and then running against uh, Mr. Ten Percent, and are saying exactly what I just conveyed, which is by you know closing in on a two to one margin in some polls. Yeah, yeah, uh, like a lot of what he did, like a lot of what he says about the swamp, about big tech companies about all of these institutions that operate adverse to my interests. But he just can't help himself from doing things that are so self-destructive that, number one, it prevents him from being elected again. And if I'm going to have somebody really represent my interests against those institutions that are adverse to them, you know, then they have to be viable and I, I, probably the biggest indictment of Trump right now, pun not intended, is that he is making himself unviable as the nominee. Yep. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Dan and Amy, uh, final comment on the Trump uh, trading cards thing. For people that are, you know, like Trump is the only one who can withstand. Trump is the only one who can get it done against the deep state, against the swamp, so forth. I get that, but you also have to understand what the hurdles are. You have to be realistic about the landscape, about the rules of the game, like we talk about with the vote-by-mail programs. You have to understand the rules of the game and use them to your advantage. Presentation matters. What you communicate matters. And Trump being a master marketer, uh, at least many successes, including all the way to the presidency, must know that. And he must be able to take market feedback and understand when the market is telling him something that is important. And right now he doesn't seem to, uh, unless he has some other agenda than being the nominee for president in 2024. 
The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So we brought you this story first on Monday, and then it got picked up by outlets locally, nationally, internationally. It's the story of a boy uh, with Down syndrome who goes to York High School in Elmhurst being uh, worked over by a bunch of his classmates in a bathroom at the high school. And uh, it was captured on video in part. I got that video from a concerned parent at York High School. I posted it, and uh, off we went. And the response from the school to what happened, well, we don't know exactly. What I understand is that the boys that were involved got suspended, and the main assailant, the the kid who pushed him to the ground, the, the boy with Down syndrome to the ground, has since transferred schools from York to some undisclosed location. And the school, and, and, you know, with all the, the hiding behind lawyers and the, the respect uh, and, and abide the restrictions that uh, protect student privacy and so forth. And in lieu of any sort of candor, any sort of uh, moral call for accountability, what do you get from York? Well, we played this from the Tuesday board meeting on the Wednesday show. This is the school district 205 board president, Kara Kaforia, after sort of generically updating those in attendance as to the incident and the school's response. She said this. There is no place for this behavior and treatment of students with a disability in our schools. To our wider Elmhurst community, while one incident hurts, and it hurts deeply, the outpouring of compassion in action from our student body at York High School has been nothing short of amazing. We are so proud of our students for their outrage over this situation and their adamant and immediate response to make it clear to everyone that the actions of this small group do not represent the entire York student body. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I'm afraid they represent not only more of the student body than Ms. Kaforia is willing to admit, but more of the adults in charge of the student body and more of the families in Elmhurst than anyone is willing to admit. But I'll call it out. I'll call it out. Actually, um, others did, even at that school board meeting. Uh, One of them, Dominic Bagora, who is a high school senior at York, and he uh, is on the football team and the wrestling team. By the way, the boy with Down syndrome also on the wrestling team. You know, he participates with the assistance of an aide. 
Right. And uh, we understand two of the boys that were that participated in the attack on him are members of the wrestling team. Well, the police report said that he willfully wrestled them. Uh, that's not exactly what it said. It said it, that that started out as oh, okay. willful, and we don't have enough to know. What we do know is that the boy's family did not declined to pursue criminal charges, and so the Elmhurst police dropped it. For those who have seen the video and are still wondering, well, why aren't there criminal charges? The family of the boy with Down syndrome didn't want to pursue that, and so the police respected the family on the issue. Um, it certainly going to be a walkout today at two o'clock. It, it certainly, even if there was willfulness at the outset, it escalated beyond willfulness, as is pretty evident in that video. And certainly with the response. And oh, by the way, if there's a defense to be offered, as some have suggested there might be, you know, reserve judgment, you're um, jumping to conclusions, Dan, and so on and so forth. I said, fine. Let me hear the defense. Let me hear the explanation. You know who we haven't heard from? The boys involved in the incident or their parents. Why haven't we heard from them? That's a problem for me. That's a fundamental problem for me. Well, they're hiding. If, there, if there's a defense, if we've all got this wrong, then uh, please step forward and explain yourself so you can be exonerated. It doesn't seem to be the case. What it seems to be the case is they're hiding and ho trying to wait this out and hope it goes away. And that is not the way to teach boys to become men. Dominic Pecora, though, is ahead of the learning curve, thankfully. This high school senior uh, probably ahead of the learning curve because he has uh, a sister with Down syndrome. Here's what he has to say about school district 205, generally speaking, beyond this one incident. Because, of course, here we go you with uh, the school board president and the other sentimental barbarians with the this incident doesn't represent. We're not in the business of talking about what it does or doesn't represent. We're, we're talking about this specific incident. If you could contain yourself to this specific incident and resolve it in a way that inspires confidence, then that would be fine. That would be welcome. What you can't do or you're not going to get away with, at least with me, is doing this we're still a great community. Let's congratulate ourselves. Let's congratulate ourselves for our outrage. Look at me being outraged. We're wonderful people. Don't let them reflect on us. No. The way that you prove that you're wonderful people, that those actions don't reflect on your community or the school, is by properly dispensing with what occurred and make it a, a, a teachable moment for all parties involved and finding a path towards reconciliation and uh, providing opportunity for growth here, maturity. None of that is happening right now as far as I'm concerned at York High School. But uh, Dominic Bagora tried. Uh, my name is Dominic Bagora. I'm a senior here at York High School and I'm a part of the football and wrestling teams. After seeing the recent video, I don't believe the correct measures are being taken. The problem with the video was not solely the push, rather the laughing and uh, videotaping that took place after. <clears throat> this all stems from the lack of education at our schools from both the middle and high schools. <clears throat> Students put in that position do not know what to do and fall back on making fun of someone they do not fully understand. <clears throat> when things finally got out of control, no student had the courage to stand up. All that happens in this district is fires are put out rather than prevented. This all stems from the education taught in our middle school and high school, as said before. Events like these 
take place in our middle school every day and nothing, and nothing is done about it and no one talks about it. My sister is a sixth grader and has Down syndrome. <clears throat> she is unable to attend Sandberg Middle School due to the mistreatment of kids with disabilities at that school by not only the students, uh, but the mistrained staff, or untrained staff. I've heard horror stories of students with disabilities being dragged across the hallway because they cannot sit still. Increased education on how to treat and support kids with disability is not only needed, but vital to create a community of warmth and helpfulness. And that starts with you. Thank you. Uh, no, thank you, Dominic. Also, as this damage control is ongoing, this is so instructive, this missive that was sent out yesterday by the principal at York High School, uh, somebody named uh, Bagdasarian, Shay Bagdasarian, not a doctor. <laughs> Listen to, he goes through, uh, he or she, I don't know what, uh, if it's a male or female, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Goes through the, restates the, uh, you know, bullying policy in the, student code of conduct and so on and so forth. That is so helpful, right? And you mentioned, Amy, there's a walkout this afternoon. I mean, what there is is a few kids that are going to cut class to seize the opportunity to you know, <laughs> pretend they're, they're doing something important, that they're great protectors of kids with disabilities, and they're just using it as an opportunity to cut class. That's what I mainly understand it to be. Maybe there'll be a little virtue no, signaling be, to the paper. People will be over. there. Kids will be there. Yeah, actually, I'm talking to parents and teachers, and it's a joke. And the uh, whole idea of the walkout is also a joke. That's the sort of work product of the sentimental barbarian. Walk out for what? I'm, what does that accomplish? Oh, look at you? It's about you and how opposed you are to kids with disabilities being abused? Congratulations. You're so civilized. These people are disgraceful. The adults I'm talking about. And they're begetting children who are similarly disgraceful. Since nobody else wants to speak plainly about this incident and these schools and these people in charge of them. Listen to this goofball, Bagdasarian. The York administrative team has met with approximately 26 York student leaders. 25 York student leaders who represent multiple groups within our building. And those students have put forth several viable ideas and suggestions in response to the incident last week. Below is an overview of the proposed student-led initiatives and events designed to enact meaningful change for the safety and well-being of all York students. You want to hear the student-generated proposals under consideration? And remember what I said, sentimental barbarians, and by the way, there's a direct link between their sentimentality, like the waterworks you heard from the school board president, and barbarism, like the incident in the bathroom. Direct link. And these people and all their high-minded bull jive about social-emotional learning and keeping kids safe and inclusivity, they are begetting more barbarism because that's who they are. Creation of stickers and T-shirts to bring further awareness and fundraising opportunities to support sensitivity training throughout the district. Sensitivity training. 
at all levels throughout the district, student rally and forum, public statement on behalf of the student leadership team regarding the incident. Those are the student-generated proposals. T-shirts, stickers, and sensitivity training. Is there a buddy bench? Right. Sit down. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turnkey Pro Tech Line. The York High School student leadership team issued a statement after it be after it was suggested by the principal that they issue a statement. And by the way, if you're wondering who the York High School student leadership team is, so are York High School students. A friend of mine who's got a senior there asked her daughter, what's the York School High School student leadership team? And her daughter said, the what? <laughs> oh, gosh. This is, a, this is a PR offensive that's being launched by the school. I said before, this is the protect the shield approach to an, in, to an incident. Protect the shield. Tout the school. Tout the community. Engage with whoever we say are student leaders so that we can have a arts and crafts project, stickers and T-shirts, and we can wear them and celebrate ourselves. Stickers and T-shirts. Does that address the underlying problem with what occurred as well as apparently what's occurring more regularly than they want to admit, at least according to Dominic Bagora? Uh, does it, it does it address that those issues at York High School any more than the memorial T-shirts for the latest person killed on the streets of Chicago addresses underlying violence on the streets of Chicago? Of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. Parents and students who are responsible, the students responsible. Um, the parents of the responsible parties come forward, put your kids forward, have them explain themselves, have them accept responsibility for what they did, have them accept the punishment for their bad acts, uh, express contrition, make amends to that a young man who was harmed, and let's be better. But no, it's got to be this whole, th- whole the crying and the and the rallies and the T-shirts and the stickers. Because there's not an adult to be found. And so you're not raising very many adults. I mean, some of the parents obviously at York Arts is not categorical, but you know what I'm saying. This is the response from your professional educators and your elected school board members. How does that sit with you? I think I've made it clear where it sits with me. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Meg in Evanston, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Uh, morning, Dan and Amy. So glad you continue to cover this story because it is so critical for people to hear the truth. Students are not receiving an education. Why? Because teaching is difficult to, to impart knowledge, to be prepared, and talk about something other than their feelings takes work and dedication and teachers i'm a former teacher in chicago in the suburbs and it takes time and effort and someone to stand up and it is appalling to me that no adult has taken any ownership or they put it on the students what do the students think okay another t-shirt that is such nonsense so thanks for taking my call please stay on this story 
Thanks for the call, Meg. Uh, did anybody John, ask? Did anybody ask the Down syndrome student what he wanted? Well, the uh, the Down the boy with Down syndrome, yeah. uh, we haven't heard from him or his parents either. I, I wish somebody involved, some adult involved in this, would please say something. Some adult with a kid involved in this. I mean, I wish we, they had raised young men that uh, of high school age now who would say, "Mom and Dad, I'm coming forward to say something." I'm going to own what happened. I'm going to provide context that is needed. I'm going to own what happened. I'm going to explain. I'm going to answer questions, as the case may be. But I'm not going to hide for the rest of my life from this. But we don't have that. And we don't have anybody calling on them to do so. And I don't understand it. Oh, maybe they're quietly doing it. Well, if quietly isn't working, then publicly do it. Because, of course, since it's videoed, Every, and I know who the guy, the kid is who pushed the boy with Down syndrome down. I know it. But that's not for me to do. That's for him to do. That's for his family to do. And if they won't, if they won't respond privately, then why wouldn't you say so publicly? So you set a standard of expectation for the kids at the school, for the parents who have kids at the school, for the community. You want your community to be a beacon then stand up and condemn wrong when it, it when it occurs they did that that's not enough and and resolve it this is not a resolution any more than not knowing what happened to heaven washington at lyons township when she issued a beatdown on a girl in the hallway at the school and nobody will talk. The Western Springs Police Department, the family, Heaven Washington and her family, we know her name, and then uh, the that's public. And uh, the 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 the, um, the the you know the school administrators at LT. Nobody talks. Nobody owns anything. Nobody says, "Yeah, it's wrong." Obviously, we all know it's wrong. We all know, you know, beating people up is wrong. That doesn't take much courage to state the obvious. Now, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to resolve these matters? So they're less likely to occur again. And so all parties involved are better for it. You know, not that it occurred, but you know what I'm saying, that they come away from it as better, stronger, more civilized people. That's not happening when you hide. Mitchell displays. Hey, you know, first of all, the the high school is never has passed information, and they're never going to let the information out. Number one, number two, those kids are at the those, those barbarians at the gate. Okay, their their behaviors are never going to be put to what I call the, the scales of justice for one reason: those teachers want to protect their pensions. If you really saw what goes on in public schools, Dan, I hate to break the news to you, you're babysitting a bunch of kids with, you know, with, with attitudes, with iPads, that have the moral fortitude of, of, of a really immoral person, regardless of their, you know, of their financial status. They're, 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 too, they're too busy vaping. They're too busy watching video games. They are socially retarded. So is, is, is it come to some what I call uh, shocking factor that you see these stories surface to the you know to the to what's going out there? Of course, 
because they have absolutely no morality. And Thanks for the call, Mitchell. Yeah, I get it. I mean, this is where it's like baseline stuff, the cardinal virtues. They don't have to be taught from a Christian perspective, but they do need to be taught. A character formation that's supposed to be part of education in a secular sense. Uh, you know, and obviously it happens at some homes that uh, that football player who spoke up, he gets it. I'm not saying he's on my side. He agrees with me. But what he said, I agree with. That's all I'm saying. And it was nice to hear somebody step up. It had to be a high school senior, not an adult, although there were other adults that spoke at the board meeting. But someone from, you know, inside the system speaking up about incidents that he sees, what's actually happening, what he identifies as a problem, and it extends beyond just that incident in the bathroom as he so detailed. So, right, it's uneven. It's always going to be uneven. Some parents are more engaged. Uh, some take discipline more seriously. Some are, some kids are better at self being a self-starter and exercising restraint and more committed to being interested in learning. So it's always going to be uneven. But there's a certain baseline standard that can be abided and needs to be. And it's not being. And it's not just York. John in Naperville. Yeah, so let me get this straight. Before this incident, nobody knew that something like this was wrong. Nobody knew that this was the wrong thing to do. Now we have to have all this other plus stuff to say it. I mean, this is like passing new gun laws in Chicago, okay? And, and, Dan, and Amy, I think you guys are going to get upset with me, but that one uh, football player leader, if he knew – so in his words, if he knew that this happens on a daily basis, did he ever report this? Did well, he ever I, bring this I, up to somebody else? I, I, I mean, mean, if not, I if, if he didn't, then he's complicit in it. And and if it didn't happen every day, he's just fanning the flames a little bit more. And I, I really don't like when people do that. Well, we'll see. I mean, we have no idea. But, um, but we don't have a lot of uh, people, adults or students, coming forward, and he's one of them. So if he's if he's late to the dance, and I'm not saying he is, I doubt he is, given he's got a sister with Down syndrome, and so they're probably a little bit more attuned to it than other families might be. I doubt that's the case. But even if he was, at least he's come to the dance now, which is more than I can say about all of the adults in the school system. And most of the parents, there's a couple of parents who spoke consistent with what you heard from that kid. One was a mom who has a, a child with Down syndrome. Another was a mom who's had uh, two children go through the school system. She was very complimentary about the school, uh, but they, they both had to have – they both need special accommodations. She was very complimentary about the school generally, but not about the handling of the situation. Dawn in Naperville. Hi, good morning. You're talking about baseline expectation. The baseline expectation is civil rights. It's supposed to be the same benefit of education of everybody else, whether they have a disability or not. So my question in regards to this child who was beaten up and other children like him, are they integrated within the general education classroom? Or is it the sentiment of the district to segregate? And when you segregate, this, these types of situations are what happens. They are not treated with respect because the adults around them are not treating them with respect or expectation. And I congratulate that high schooler for speaking up. He's a kid. 
good for him for speaking up for his sister. Yep. The question is, you know what I'm saying? That's ridiculous. I, I totally disagree with the previous caller. So the question is, and, and it's not just kids with disabilities. It's African-American children as well. They are being segregated. And, and there's talks of the Supreme Court going after schools for doing this. So if you have an issue with the school, you can file a civil rights complaint. You can file a state complaint. There are things that you can do to ensure that your children are being protected for their civil rights. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Don. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Amy had to uh, take off, as you heard, in the last hour and a half. She was losing her voice, and it went. So we'll uh, marshal on without here and close out the week, uh, beginning with the question about whether it's going to be a Merry Christmas after all, after the shellacking the markets took yesterday and are expected, uh, the beatings are expected to continue today because Jay Powell was not accommodating enough with his comments about the future of additional interest rate hikes. He was supposed to say, you know, had this half a point on Wednesday, this 50 basis point hike, and then we're going to start, uh, you know, getting back to our our zero interest rate, funny money, freewheeling days. And that didn't happen, and uh, the street didn't like it. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Scott the Cow Guy Shelley. Market Specialist for Market Day Report, 10.30 to 1 p.m. Chicago time. And uh, the Cow Guy Close, that's 1 to 1.30 p.m., both on RFD TV. Scott the Cow Guy, thanks for joining us. There it is. There we go. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. So uh, do I have that about right? Uh, Not enough cheerleading from Jay Powell to continue the rally? Everybody keeps hoping for that Christmas rally, and they keep hoping for some sort of Fed pivot, but it's just not going to come because the Fed didn't start raising rates until too late. They're trying to get back some sort of credibility and make themselves relevant again, and he is hell-bent on making that happen. And so um, he's going to stick to this uh, 2% inflation mandate that he thinks he has to get to. That's going to be very difficult to get down there. And everybody keeps waiting for him to kind of give up that ghost and maybe change tack a little bit, but it's, so far it hasn't happened. And, while, while he was talking a tough game when everybody thought he was going to lighten up a little bit on top of that, Dan, we got more news out of the economy yesterday that things aren't doing that well, especially the consumer. Retail we sales. badly on a retail sales number. Yeah. But then we had a Philly, a Philly uh, Philadelphia Fed Index Manufacturing Index that missed badly, a New York Manufacturing Index that missed badly. I mean, it's, uh, it's okay to be beating up the economy and trying to slow it down by beating up demand. If you've got an overheating economy and you're trying to get off in front of inflation, but if you're beating up an economy that looks like it's been beaten up already, that's what everybody kind of woke up to yesterday, and that's why the market sold off yesterday, and it's continuing to sell off today. Thank you, sir. I have another. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, part of this is, uh, I mean, I know that the, the almost the entire focus of the Investotainment shows is on interest rates and the uh, the central bankers, 
But um, what, what about, you know, back in the private sector? Um, remember that? Remember the private sector? Um, the, the productive capacity of the private sector and where we are since we spent so much time talking about uh, supply chain breakdowns during the lockdowns. You know, how much real progress have we made? Are we back to pre-pandemic levels in major sectors such that uh, there is the there is no longer a supply problem? It's just the demand problem uh, because the interest rates are crushing demand. The interest rate hikes are crushing demand. Well, yeah, demand, there's there's two sides of that coin. Demand has been uh, taken up by the Fed because that's all they can do, right? Traditionally, supply would be something that the administration could do. For instance, supply the market with crude oil. Um, And if you had crude oil prices down significantly more than they are even now, uh, you would see inflation come down significantly. We've seen inflation come down because crude oil has come down. We've seen some food prices come down. Um, But they're still really high. And here's the problem, Dan. Yes, used car sales, used car prices have come down. Big ticket items have come down, which have made that that inflation number at a high of 9.1% this year come down to 7.1% this year. But unfortunately, the things that we frequent the most, the things that get the most activity, like going to the grocery store or your energy bills, those are still very high. So there are some things that have helped. Obviously, housing, that's gotten killed. That's helped that CPI number. We have had some food prices come up, and crude oil has done that as well. But still going to the grocery store, you have to see your mortgage broker before you can actually check out of that self-checkout line still. Yeah, so but that's gross- been very, very difficult. For- but, but, the, but the grocery store issue the grocery store issue is not a supply issue, though, is my question, right? No, well, no, well, it could be. With, if, if everything, I mean, it's probably more expensive, not because of a shortage of goods, but it's just getting them there. I mean, diesel fuel is still the very energy, expensive. Energy so costs, yeah. I, I, yeah, and so the supply chains are a little bit better, and there is movement to get them out of China. There is movement to put them in different places. We don't see the backlog at the ports that we did earlier in the year. But that hasn't really helped the man on the street. The cash flow for the average everyday consumer hasn't really gotten any better. Maybe a little bit with, with uh, uh, you go to the gas pump, but uh, still, it's a, a tough go out there. And at the same time, we're losing all these people. We're, we're firing. There's been a lot of layoffs. And that's the last thing that I'm watching is this jobs. Because uh, you've got, um, I think I talked about it the last time I was on with you, but Amazon firing 10,000 people before the holidays? When's the last time you heard about that? They're usually dying for people, for temp workers. you got FedEx, the CEO of FedEx, saying some pretty dire things. And then we have had a ton of layoffs. Those are going to start coming through. That will also help the, the Fed with their demand, right? Because when people don't have any money, they stop buying. So the demand will then go down again. But the problem here, Dan, the biggest problem is going to be labor and going to be jobs. Right now, these interest rate hikes that the Fed is doing are no-brainers. It's easy. It's like moving topsoil, okay? Everybody gets that they have to get inflation down. That's what they've been said they're going to do. I wish we had some more work on the supply side, but it's not happening, so we got to stop talking about it. But what, what, what is going to happen at some point soon, when we get that inflation rate down to, say, 6 or maybe even 5%, you're going to find out that the, the rest of that problem is going to be labor costs. And the only way that you can make that better is by getting everybody fired and then rehired at a lower rate. Well, that was so the, that said that out loud. Well, so that was sort of my, my, yeah, that was sort of my question too. You know, we, we expect sometimes that when things start moving in one direction, they're just going to keep going in that direction. And what are the, the potential pitfalls 
for inflation reduction to stagnate or even for inflation to tick back up? Well, if they take their foot off, if, if, they, if, they, if they don't have the stones to continue with this 2% inflation mandate, you'll see inflation tick back up. You'll see the stock market. I love that, too. It'll, it'll skyrocket whatever day that is. I, I said out loud on my show that I reckon when it get, when push comes to shove, when, when, when uh, Jay Powell has to look himself in the mirror because he's gotten all the easy dirt moved away, now he's trying to dig into rock. He's got a 5% you know, CPI or whatever inflation rate. And the only way that he's going to get that really lower is he has to look at himself in the mirror and say, i got to raise rates another 50 basis points and put another million people out of work. That's when it's, it gets difficult. That's when he might pivot and say, you know what, we're going to go for a 3% mandate or maybe even a 4% mandate. That's where I think he, he might change because it's going to get very, very difficult. Look, if we have – John Hopkins had a paper, and I've said this before. They say if you want to stick to 2%, it's going to – have to drive, you're going to have to drive the unemployment rate, which is 3.7% right now, up to 65 and it's going to have to stay there for two years. What does 6.5% mean in terms of people? Right now we have 6 million people out of work. If you move from 3.7 to 6.5, you're going to add another 5 million people to the goal. That'll be 11 million workers out of jobs. That's what he's going to have to do, looking himself in the mirror to get that thing down to 2%. Wow. And, and, and I mean, and when you talk about that 5 million uh, unlike a, a, a significant percentage of the six million out of work right now, that five million is people who want to work, who are working. It's not people who are on the yeah. sidelines dipping their toe in the water or not. That's your next door neighbor. That's the guy that's been working for this whole time. That, you know, these guys were probably even considered, you know, uh, workers that you had to have, you know, during COVID. I mean, this is this is not going to be pretty here if they're really going to stick to two percent. And like I said, you know. Jim Mario, you know Jim. He's got a restaurant, right? The, the prices are going up. Inflation's killing him. He's raising his prices. He's got his workers that have already gotten that three three uh, minimum wage raises this year, and and they want more money anyway because everybody else on the streets hiring at a better rate. Well, now that he's seen a little bit of a break in his prices as far as commodities go for the things that he serves and that people eat at his restaurant, he can't go back to the kitchen and say, you know what, I want to, I want those raises back now. Right. Right. Um, it, it gets real sticky. That's what the Fed's going to have a problem. Speaking of uh, Jim Uri, I wanted to run this by you. We sort of came up with this new uh, test for where to invest your money and with whom to invest your money uh, when he was on the show earlier in the week. I want to see if you agree with this. If the person asking for you to invest has the same haircut as Juan Epstein on Welcome Back Hotter, then you should not put your money with them. So we call that the Welcome Back Hotter test or the Epstein test, however you prefer. <laughs> What if you, you can guess what he's had for breakfast the last three days in a row by what's on his shirt, you <laughs> probably should not. Uh, any, uh, I, mean, I know we talked about this last week when you were on, uh, Mr. Bankman-Fried, um, who uh, you know tried to get sprung from that Bahamian jail because he's a vegan and he needs his ADD medicine, didn't fly. Um, what do you, th and, and, and the, the uh, um, indicting him, the day before he was scheduled to testify oh, no. before a congressional committee. I mean, no, to no. me, that just smacks of you're not protecting your case. You're protecting people that Sam Bankman Friedman was going to talk about, like maybe the Democrats he gave $70 million to. Right. I have so much to say about that, but you're exactly right. I mean, and you know what? At least 40 years ago, they would have tried to do it a little bit differently. Now they just don't care. And they just, you know, they, they do it right in front of your face. 
number one. Number two is he's complaining. I'm sure he gave money to the World Economic Forum, and they're the ones that have been telling us to eat bugs. So I just tell him to tuck in, you know, get a little of his own medicine. <laughs> Look around the cell. Yeah, there's a meal there. Right. It's a, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a virtual cornucopia of what the World Economic Forum wants us to eat. Um, do you have the sense, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, paint with too broad a brush here, but do you have the sense that Sam Bankman-Fried isn't the only one running his outfit on QuickBooks in, crypt, in the crypto world? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean yes. And look, it's, 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 uh, it's an indictment upon the, the regulators letting something like this go on for so long. And it's, it wasn't sophisticated. It wasn't Enron. I mean, what is his name? John J. Ray or whatever his John name is. Ray, he's yeah. He's now right. taking over the company. John right. Ray. Um, I mean, he, he's, he's, I mean, he, without saying it, he said it, it's, it's been so basic. There were no sophisticated investment schemes. This was just allocation. I mean, how does something like that go unnoticed at that size? I mean, what are our people doing? You know, it's just, it, I think that it's because everybody was making so much money then, and everybody was loving how volatile that market was and how sexy it was. It reminded me of Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire. Turn your head, forget about the steroids, enjoy the ride, and then when it all comes crashing down, put an asterisk next to their name. I mean, that's what it felt like to me. That's a pretty good metaphor. I like that. Scott, the cow guy, Shelley, market <laughs> specialist for Market Day Report. That's 1030 to 1, Chicago time. The cow guy close 1 to 130, both on RFD TV. Scott, the cow guy, thanks as always. Appreciate it, man. All right. Have a good weekend. You yeah. too. And Scott joined us on the Turnkey.pro Answer Line. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Amy had to uh, take off, as you heard earlier in the show. She was losing her voice, and it went. So, flying solo here. Uh, yesterday, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House spokeshuman, she uh, addressed the border security issue with the end of Title 42 around the corner next week and expected influx of migrants. And... Uh, she said they're doing the work. They've done the work, which apparently hasn't reached Eric Adams in New York City, who wants a billion dollars from the Fed, or Gavin Newsom, who is resplendent in his Armani, and Dolce & Gabbana doing a photo op at the border, suggesting that there's a problem and it's going to be visited upon California. Oh, really, you don't say. Here's what uh, KJP said. We have uh, we have done the work from this administration by securing record uh, record funding, and we are asking Congress for Congress to act. Uh, we are not we are not asking for political stunts. We're, we continue to see political stunts from uh, many Republicans out there, and that's not how we're going to fix uh, this issue. They want to uh, they want to uh, secure the border. We've been doing that work on our own. And uh, we ask, we're asking them to, hey, you know what? There's an immigration reform plan that the president put out on the first day. They should work with us and do this in a bipartisan. Uh-huh. What? Um, One million got away since President Biden took office, and they've been doing work. They've been doing this on their own. Hey, a little help here. Right. There's an immigration reform package on the table. 
Well, right. That's been rejected, but border security is still an imperative regardless of what you want in return for it. Yeah. Peter Ducey uh, was not called upon by KJP, but he was by Hannity. And uh, he said, you know, what they're telling you about their sense of urgency on this matter of border security and the expiration of Title 42, uh, he's not really feeling it. The press secretary said that there is an all-of-government approach right now underway to figure out what happens after Title 42. But there isn't an all-of-government approach because all we're hearing from guys in the Senate and in the House, uh, the other branches of government, is that they have no idea what is going to happen next. Something else this White House is saying, well, if the border is going to get fixed, immigration is going to get fixed, Congress needs to act. But we heard from the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, today that they're not going to act for the remainder of this democratically controlled Congress. She said it's tied up in the courts. I know that officials here that I talked to would rather be talking about the economy. They would rather be focusing on the economy than immigration. They think that polls back them up with that. National interest in the economy is higher than immigration. But there is a potential for a real problem here next week. And it's not like this is a surprise. It's not like something happened that they didn't know was coming. We've known that this Title 42 deadline is coming for months. And there is, in theory, I've seen some headlines where it says the White House is scrambling to come up with, with, with answers and a plan. But I'm not feeling that kind of an urgency, at least not here for more on this topic and others, please be joined by Brett Baer, host of Fox News' special report, Monday to Friday, 5 p.m. Chicago time. Best-selling author of To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. Brett, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Morning. Uh, so there's a real sense of urgency about uh, spending money, but not so much on securing the border is what I'm gathering from Peter Ducey's reporting and what we're seeing the uh, the Senate and the House taking up at present. Yeah, listen, it's, there's a disconnect here with whatever KJV says at the White House podium and uh, and the reality on the ground in in the southern border region. Um, you know, we've been down there for two years plus. Uh, Bill Malucci, correspondents, other networks are now uh, sending people there and, um, you know, having these breakthrough stories about yeah. all of these people yeah. that are coming right. across the border. You know, it's really amazing. But um, we welcome the other coverage. I think that uh, there is this sense on Capitol Hill that there aren't answers. When you have Senator John Tester, Democrat from Montana, saying we wrote letters uh, to DHS and said we need an answer of what the plan will be after Title 42, and he said they never got back to him. Um, you know, you're, you're starting to have Democrats, uh, not just Henry Cuellar, but other Democrats uh, really speak out on this issue of immigration because they realize how um, dangerous potentially it is. Right, and this whole uh, bipartisan support, comprehensive immigration reform, whatever cinema and Tillis are trying to cobble together, you know, that's all well and good. But if you have a humanitarian crisis on the border, which, again, as you sort of were sarcastically saying, is this revelation that has come to MSNBC this week. That's how they termed it. Humanitarian crisis on the border, per the reporting that they did. 
um, then you're going to have images that do not reflect well on the administration. Uh, well, additional images, maybe images that uh, are exponentially worse than the disturbing images we've already been witness to the last two years. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's interesting that the, the angle that uh, a lot of those news outlets are taking is um, the horrible conditions of this journey. We've done that story and we've talked to migrants who've made the journey and they're right. It is, it is horrible, but they're choosing to make it. Um, we've also done stories about the horrible conditions in El Paso for the people who live there. Right. Um, you know, you have New York City Mayor uh, Adams asking for something like a billion dollars uh, to deal with 17,000 uh, migrants who have been bused there. Right. Um, you know, what is El Paso uh, getting if if uh, New York City gets a billion dollars? It's it's just a disconnect. And I think that there's going to be this reckoning when Title 42 is pulled away um, that the influx will be unavoidable. You know, it will be in your face and the Border Patrol will tell you, we can't stop the cartels because it's like a water balloon. We hit them in one place and they go someplace else in the middle of this giant tidal wave of people. Uh, we've got to turn our attention to the um, latest uh, Trump venture. That would be the Trump trading cards, as announced yesterday. And we talked about it a bit earlier in the program, trying to reconcile the two Trumps. The Trump that has a major announcement, uh, trading cards, NFT, non-fungible tokens for 99 bucks that have like uh, his head on the an Iron Man's body. OK, real collectible. Um, so um, that's one Trump. And the other Trump, who is the Trump who p uh, posted a six minute video with a five point plan to ostensibly protect free speech rights in the era of big tech. So you, you have the sort of substantive policy Trump over here and then you have the carnival barker over here and it seems that more and more people even who respect the policy guy on the one hand that policy guy is being overwhelmed by the carnival barker on the other i think the most striking thing for me yesterday was steve bannon uh who on his show uh, his podcast said you know i can't do this anymore and he said um you know I think this is Bannon speaking. I think he's the greatest president ever, and the policies were fantastic. Uh, but this is ridiculous, and whoever came up with this idea needs to be fired. The communications people, the whoever, uh, they don't understand what's going on. And I do think that you know it's been fairly quiet for the former president after his announcement. He hasn't done much. And so when this major announcement happened, there was all kinds of speculation about what it would be. And then when it came out that it was trading cards, um, it had a lot of ridicule from the left and the right. And I don't think it did the former president's campaign any good. Uh, and it only accelerated the people that said, hey, listen, I love the policies, but somebody else needs to take the, the banner. Yeah, he, he's growing, as, as uh, James Freeman and the, the Wall Street Journal called, he's growing the not again Trump voter group. Right. That they were with him. But but he's he's pushing them to when you've seen this in some of the recent polling to say, yes, I want somebody with Trump's policies, the Republican primary electorate majority of it saying that. But I don't want Trump. I want somebody else to do the things he did without doing the things, some of the things that he also does. Yeah. Not a never Trumper, but a not again. Trumper. Yeah. Right. I think um, 
I think that's real, you know, and I sense that. Uh, it's not just polling. It's it's sort of talking to people who were big Trump supporters. I'm talking like financial supporters and backers uh, who even in the announcement kind of tried to persuade him not to do it this early, um, but now have moved away. And I don't think they've landed at Ron DeSantis. I think they're still kind of in limbo, um, and there's a lot of time to go. But clearly, Ron DeSantis is in the pole position should he choose to run, you know, come spring. Well, uh, Mitch McConnell may inadvertently give Trump an opportunity to uh, move people's attention off of the trading cards and back to things more substantive because of this omnibus spending bill that is uh, pending where he seems to be willing to deal. And other than the lame duck caucus within the House Republicans, they don't. They have understandably, smartly, I would say, Kevin McCarthy wants to push this off until after they uh, take control post January 20th. So they have more control over the purse strings in the House. And so you've got a, a showdown between McCarthy and McConnell and frankly, between sort of uh, real conservative Republicans and Mitt Romney Republicans, Mitch McConnell Republicans. Yeah, I think it'll be close in the end, but uh, there are a number of Republicans retiring, uh, and some of those people have worked on the inner workings of this um, of this spending bill. So I think Democrats will pick off those retiring Republicans, and uh, the numbers, it all comes down to numbers, um, will be very tight. If I had to put money on it today, I would say that this omnibus passed, and there'll be outrage yeah. on the— the right on the um, McCarthy side, they will use it politically, but in reality, they will, in some of their heart of hearts, be happy that they cleared the deck and they can start fresh January 3rd. Um, that's not good for the country, you know, as far as being able to fiscally uh, look at everything that was passed in a 4,000-page bill with $2 trillion. But uh, I think that that's the inner workings of Washington. Well, and it's also going to demoralize the base because they have suspicions about Kevin McCarthy to begin with, the quality of his leadership, what it's going to be in the House, how much of a fight he's going to put up. And it's going to send a signal that, you know, it's still McConnell's party on the Hill and Kevin McCarthy can't, uh, you know, what's the point of even a House Republican majority if you can't even block uh, pork barrel spending bills? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point. And he's on the cusp of, you know, on the edge of not having... 218 votes too. So his pushback will be very loud, and his and and they will yeah. be very boisterous in their opposition. I'm just saying, it's going to be close, and if it passes, that's why it'll pass. These retiring Republicans who don't are not seeking re-election, no. uh, and also right. won't have to see the uh, voters' wrath about it. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll put this through probably. Yeah, Adam Kinzinger, Republicans. No, we we get it. Uh, Brett Baer, host of Fox News Special Report, weekdays, 5 p.m. Chicago time. Number one bestselling author of To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. Brett, thanks as always. Appreciate it. You bet. And he joined us on the turnkey.pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Amy under the weather, so she had to depart this morning. But uh, we'll marshal on into the weekend. Francis Parker, we finally got some response from some parents. Francis Parker High School in Lincoln Park, the 
for Tony $40,000 a year uh, indoctrination camp for the radical left. Yeah, uh, the uh, delicious dish set over at WBEZ was able to get a few of them to talk, it turns out. We're talking about the uh, butt plugs and dildos. But, I mean, of course, I, I, I said we're talking about Francis Parker, so synonymous with butt plugs and dildos. And I'm in a unique position to talk about it as a graduate of Sex Toy University up there in Evanston. Uh, just maybe to reset, remember uh, what their dean of students said. This was Project Veritas, you know, and, of course, the Chicago press corps. Far right wing, Project Veritas, right wing, this and that, undercover, trying to uh, discredit the messenger because they are having trouble spinning the message, right? That's all the reporting that you've seen, making sure to focus your attention on Project Veritas. They're bad. They're not real journalists like us. And so don't pay attention to what they've actually uncovered, uh, again, which has gone unchallenged. What Joseph Bruno said and what happened, per what he said at Francis Parker, the substance has gone unchallenged. Of course it has, because it's true. Here's the dean of students at Francis Parker. So I've been the dean for four years. During Pride, we do a Pride Week every year, and I had um, I had like our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Who is this? This is uh, an LGBTQ plus health center came in to talk to my high school students. Nice. They're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're looking at them. In the school? In, in a classroom. Wow. Yeah. While well, I'm sitting there. Then we had a drag queen come in, um, pass out cookies and brownies and do photos. It's so amazing. And everybody's cool with that, like the butt plugs and the dildos. Yeah. Nobody complains. No. I mean, if the parents found out, but they... No. Queer sex. This is the drag queen that came in. What's her name? Uh, Alexis Bevels. Alexis Bevels. And just hung out in my classroom. And was there? Or hung out in my office. You have so much freedom. So much wiggle room. So much freedom. So much money. I mean, to do stuff. Trustees are okay with that too? Oh, yeah. They don't know. They would. It's like we. I wouldn't even like run it by them. Like, why would I run it by them? They'd be like, "Oh my god, that's wonderful." Like yeah. How old were the kids at with the classroom? 14, 18. They're like, "How do you? How does this work? How do we do? Like, how does this work?" Right. Um, so yeah, that's a really like cool part of my job is I don't have to worry about stuff like that. So much freedom, so much money, so little taste, so little sense. Email sent by the school to the Francis Parker community. The healthcare practitioners. Oh, is that what they were? They're healthcare practitioners. The uh, folks that uh, Joe Bruno brought in to help the kids play with dildos and butt plugs. The healthcare practitioners presented information and materials related to safe sex practices, which were designed to combat misinformation on the Internet. Well, if you're combating misinformation, why didn't you just say so? nothing to see here the experts appeal to experts of course hey 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 what do you know about comprehensive sex education what do you know about the importance of using dildos and butt plugs butt plugs to combat misinformation you don't know nothing that's why we got experts 
The experts provided information in a clear and respectful manner. Of course, they're experts. Aimed to meet the specific needs of our upper school LGBTQ plus students. Wonderful. And so, in addition to those experts that were referred to by the school, um, these Ira Glass devotees over at uh, WBEZ, they went out and found some academics to buttress the case of Francis Parker. Um, Like Eva Goldfarb, who's a professor of public health at Montclair State University, She co-authored the Standards for Comprehensive Sex Education along with other academics and teachers. And again, here we go. 2021 state law in Illinois that mandates how sex education must be taught in public schools. You don't have to teach sex education in your school. But why wouldn't you when you have all these experts at your disposal, healthcare practitioners, to combat misinformation? Of course, embrace. If you do offer it, it's got to be done in a comprehensive way. And, of course, there are national standards set by deep thinkers like Eva Goldfarb. And it must include discussion of LGBTQIA plus identities. Of course it must. And practices. Sure. As children get older, said <clears throat> Professor Goldfarb, as uh, children get older, lessons become more closely related to sex and sexuality. Students learn about puberty, sex, contraception, grades 6 to 8. High schools continue these lessons and add discussions about signs of unhealthy relationships, inaccurate media representation of sex and romance. Oh, I'd love for a dissertation on romance from Professor Goldfarb or Joe Bruno. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, what they find, you won't be surprised, these academics, is that uh, schools whose curriculums meet the standards of buttpluggery and dildolery uh, we find those schools uh, see less homophobic bullying, more acceptance of gender nonconformity, and fewer students who are victims of, in- of uh, intimate partner violence, they contend. Yeah. So it's all good. Boy, did we have this wrong. This is violence prevention. This is combating misinformation. This is preparing kids for healthy romantic relationships, you know, when they're 15. What do the student? What do the parents say? Mm-hmm. Um, well, Parker said this was age-appropriate sex education, the dildos and the butt plugs for fourteen-year-olds. Like many other schools, Parker supports the emerging needs and experiences of our LGBTQ plus. Where's the IA? Uh, LGBTQ plus upper school students by providing additional mini workshops during Pride Week. Wonderful. That's where your money's going. Well worth it. Uh, a bargain at twice the price. Francis Parker. Stacia Garrett Garriott Cass has three children, two current Parker students, and one alum. She supports the school stance um, because her youngest son is gay. Sex education is is a more heteronormative way, doesn't in a more heteronormative way, doesn't really apply to my kid. I would feel so much more comfortable with him learning about safe safe sex practices, including the sex toys. She's so enlightened. But that's what you get with uh, rich folks on the lakefront. Enlightenment. They're the great uh, guarantors of our civilization, right? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 646-368, turnkey.pro text line. Elias Cepeda is a writer and boxing coach. He tweeted, I've rarely been as proud of my school as I am now seeing them teach 
One, sex ed. Two, sex ed that doesn't assume heterosexuality. And three, seeing that they're showing kids from a young age that queerness is nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, for those of you, myself included, should be ashamed of ourselves for questioning the uh, good housekeeping seal of Francis Parker, the best practices when it comes to sex education that Francis Parker employs, right? Uh, Jeffrey Carter, friend of mine, friend of the show, he uh, is a parent of two Parker alumni. He had a different opinion, but he's not as enlightened. This isn't show and tell, and Carter, uh, but BEZ was quick to point out, a self-described pro-life and free market capitalist. Well, let's discount his opinion. I didn't catch the political views of the Francis Parker parents and alum that were supportive. Didn't catch him, as if we don't know. But Eugene just dismissed Jeff Carter's opinion out of hand because he's a self-described pro-life and free market capitalist. Uh, Jeff Carter wrote, suppose those weren't dildos. Suppose Mr. Bruno was someone from the NRA and they were guns. The feeling that is creeping into your gut and that hot rush of anger that's making your blood boil is the same feeling a lot of parents get when they hear kids are being educated by a gay man about sex toys. For what it's worth, I wouldn't support that either, the NRA and guns. It has nothing to do with Mr. Bruno. It has everything to do with the subject matter. I wouldn't want Mother Teresa or Hugh Hefner teaching my kids about that subject either. Um, and this is really telling the statement I'm about to relay from one of the parents. You think like this is just a, a caricature of these wealthy, sentimental barbarians. Nobody actually behaves this way. Nobody's actually motivated by these things. This is just a way to cartoonize them. But it doesn't really happen. Your kids maybe don't get invited to parties. You lose out on business opportunities. That's what parents actually say in defending their silence. Parents who are otherwise opposed to their 14-year-old girl playing with a dildo and butt plugs in class. I don't want to lose business opportunities. I don't want my kid not invited to the party. What kind of party is that? Is Joe Bruno going to be there with his sex toys at that party? You you don't believe it's real until you exist in those circles for a little while. And it is very real. Aren't they embarrassed, you might ask? They're not. That's how weak they are. And look, we all have our weaknesses and our human frailties and our moral failings. I certainly do. But the idea that I'm going to expose my 14-year-old to this and people like Joe Bruno and, frankly, apparently, the entire authority structure of Francis Parker. And I'm going to pay 40 grand to do it because I don't want to be left out of my kid going to the parties of the other rich kids or I don't want, my, I don't want to lose out or my kid to lose out on business opportunities. I, I, the words don't describe the lack of character that statement exhibits. So that's who you're actually dealing with. Don't be impressed. Matt, Birmingham, Alabama. Good morning. You know, I listen to this and listen to his voice, and I think of a discussion I had 30 years ago with a psychiatrist from Wilmette. 
And I asked him whether or not he would have a homosexual man babysit his two boys. And he surprised me. He said, absolutely not. I said, why? He said, because men sexualize everything. That was it. And I listened to, to Mr. Bruno's voice. And I hear the joy and enjoyment he gets over them, fondling the dildos and the butt plugs. I think, how does this not raise concern for the parents that he's going to go after my kids or somebody? And I can guarantee you, two to three years from now, something like that will happen. And these Francis Parker parents will be standing around going, wow, never saw that come. Right. Thanks for the comment. Well, here's the thing. I mentioned this the other day when a topic of this sort. Like, you're talking about people who identify their existence through their sexual conduct that's the entire that's 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 that is front and center that is the a main feature of their identity my sexual behavior and then we're surprised when they exhibit their sexual behavior when they are out and proud about their sexual behavior particularly when it's endorsed and celebrated you're surprised they want to pass that on to Younger people, you know, they want to encourage other people to be like they are, which is define yourself by your sexual behavior. And I'm not saying that every LGBTQ person does that, but I am saying that the politically charged activists do. And you hear it, you're Matt in, L, in Birmingham is exactly right. You hear that in Joe Bruno's voice, and frankly, you see it in his behavior as he so described, which has not been disputed by the school. So that's how they define themselves, and you're surprised when they behave in furtherance of the expression. Why? How? Because it's just a, because it's, it's covered by a rainbow, because it's papered over by uh, feel-good words like tolerance and love. Is that what it is? Uh, Harry in Las Cruces, New Mexico. How you doing, Dan? I I think that you've stumbled across the answer to the Fermi paradox. You know, which uh, questions as to why there is, are no aliens all over the galaxy because uh, if they've had all this time to develop. Why don't we see them? And I think that if the culture continues to go the way it's going on the same trajectory, it's going to die off. You can't have this kind of insanity just keep progressing without this ending in, in mass destruction somehow. Thanks for the call, Harry. Uh, Mike, Northwest Indiana. Good morning, Dan. I think over the archway of the school's interest, I have it carved. In Spanish, it's más dinero que sesos. In English, it's more money than brains. <laughs> so say we all. Thanks, Mike. Uh, or maybe uh, from Dante, Abandon Hope, all ye who enter here. And I, I've always suggested that, that those signs be put at the corporate boundaries of Cook County, but it doesn't mean it can't make it part of the uh, the school seal at Francis Parker, too. Uh, Bob, Edison Park. Uh, you know, Dan, you're talking about these rich parents, and uh, you just look at the whole country as a whole, the whole world. This is the cost of woke capitalism. I mean, let's face it. These big corporations have done more to bring uh, wokeism and, I guess, socialism into our lives than the daily worker could in a hundred. 
I mean, their progress as far as making things more left-wing, or I, I don't even know if it's left-wing. I don't even know if Karl Marx dreamed of this kind of uh, sexualization of children. I don't know. But when you look at corporations, this is what it does. This is free market wokeism from Disney to Nike to you could go down the list to Apple. I mean, this is what the cost of it is. And I don't know where it is. People got to start doing stuff with their with their pocketbook. I mean, that's where the left got to speak. The left will boycott and boycott. I see all the all of my even my buddies. These big tough Republicans, some of the vet bros with their with their tattoo sleeves, wearing Nike gym shoes, taking the kids to Disney World. Keep doing it, fools. Thanks for the call, Bob. Well, conspicuous consumption on the one hand, on the other, uh, you know, the left dominates. There's a great piece by Barton Swaim um, in the journal over the weekend. I've been meaning to get to all week. We talk about, you know, this idea that we live in silos. The left can live in a silo because they have control of all these institutions, media, entertainment, corporate America, K through 12, the academia, the arts, you know, outside of television, in addition to television and movies. Um, But, and and so so you can you can never hear a conservative's perspective if you're on the left. You can easily avoid that. That's not the same for conservatives. There's no such thing as living in a silo because, you know, all of those institutions are part of the rich tapestry of our lives too. You send your kids to school, they go off to college, you get a job in corporate America, you watch a movie, you watch a television show, you go to the theater. You're going to get hit with it because they're in control. So it's very difficult to say we're just going to uh, vote or respond with our pocketbook because, well, then you, you know, have to, you know, go live in a cave. They're just much more willing to take up these cultural fights than we are. Linda and Glen Allen, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, hi guys. Love the show. Just wanted to let you know that here in Glen Ellen, the Glenbar D eighty seven district, we've got a bunch of parents from different backgrounds, Muslims, Christians, um, lots of people that are fighting the school right right now to get out inappropriate books like gender queer. Boys aren't all boo. But at the board meeting on Monday night, um, there were parents that were in support of these books. And they called it in the name of diversity. Yeah, of course. And I'm sorry, but these, yeah, but these books, I mean, when you show them the pictures, I showed the parents the pictures afterwards, and they agreed with me that it was inappropriate. Thanks for taking this um, topic on, guys. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I, mean, I don't even know what they're talking about. They're just, uh, you know, they just march to the beat of whoever is singing from the hymnal of diversity, inclusion, tolerance, love. Right. But, you know, those parents may have looked at what was actually contained in those books and said, oh, yeah, that is inappropriate. You got to do something about it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. I'm not going to be the nail that sticks out. No, no. Michael Southside. Good morning, Dan. Morning, Amy. Thank you for taking my call. I listened to WBEZ last Friday. Uh, WBEZ uh, discussed the uh, whole situation that Francis Parker, my jaw hit the floor. I uh, W 
the reporter said that the issue at Francis Parker was more about online harassment that apparently took place rather than the uh, content of the session. And I, I, I was just amazed that the reporter uh, spun the story in that manner. And I, I think a big part of this issue right now is that uh, the media is very complicit. Oh, there's no question. Uh, the, the, the comm shop for the radical left, both in office and in larger society. Absolutely. Maurice Berwin. Hi, Dan. Uh, as I was saying to the screener, as someone who grew up in the inner city where people were getting pregnant at 12 and 13, sex ed back then was like, hey, guys, don't get pre- anyone pregnant. Maybe don't have sex. And if you do, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, my question for you is this. Why do so few conservatives go into teaching? Because, I mean, I, I thought of a book that you should write called Common Sense Conservatism. Um, because you just need, like, basic common sense. I am a Democrat, not a progressive. Um, but I think that's what you need. I was thankful for those messages as a kid, but it was more biological health-based and not not so much about gender. Kids should not be sexualized that early. But that was my question for you. Why do so few conservatives go into teaching to influence policy? Thanks for the call, Maurice. Appreciate it, the comments. Uh, we've talked about it before. We'll talk about it again. We're up against the clock now. Maybe I'll uh, address that at the bottom of the 8 o'clock hour in our open mic Friday. We'll try and tackle that topic again. Why? Why have conservatives abandoned all these places dominated by the left? This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. During his 35 years as a reporter for Fox News Channel, Rick Leventhal got around in theaters of war, covering natural disasters. He was at the base of the Twin Towers on 9-11. Got a lot of stories that he's piled up, that he's covered, reported on, piled up over 35 years. So um, he came up with the idea, you know what, probably make a pretty good book, all these stories. And so he's got, he did just that. He wrote a book, Chasing Catastrophe, My 35 Years Covering Wars, Hurricanes, Terror Attacks, and Other Breaking News. Rick Leventhal joins us now. Rick, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Hey, it's, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You know, th- like as you were parsing through all these stories that you've covered uh, over three and a half decades, um, I, I wonder if there were uh, one or two that stood out as like particular acts, you know, on the positive side, since we don't get enough of those particular acts of heroism that really stuck with you through your career as a reporter. Well, obviously nine 11 was a huge, uh, a huge story and, and you know, one of the worst days any of us have ever experienced. And I was surrounded by people who were in the middle of chaos and confusion stepping up and jumping in and trying to help out in any way they could. And, and I witnessed that firsthand on the ground just a few blocks from where the towers had just fallen. And so obviously that was a huge story for me, a turning point in my career. Uh, it took me to Afghanistan and Iraq. And there I saw, you know, many more acts of heroism. And, and those do fill many of the pages of my book. 
And, and so what was it like to report? Um, I mean, I don't know which is more harrowing of being uh, on the battlefront in the Middle East or being at the epicenter of the terrorist attack in New York City. But but I mean, g- g- give us a sense of what's that like when you are in a position where um, you're relying others to uh, protect your life. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that was the case certainly in Iraq uh, on more than one occasion. I was embedded with the Marines in 2003 for the invasion um, and all the way up to Baghdad. And we drove into a firefight, and it went on for 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, you know, the entire battalion was under attack, and I was right there in the middle of it without a weapon, uh, but, you know, surrounded by guys who, who were very well trained, and uh, and they took care of business. Uh, it was it was uh, heroin for sure, uh, and exciting as well, um, and impressive just to be surrounded by these these, uh, these young uh, guys who were just doing their job without complaint in the most ridiculous circumstances and doing it bravely and uh, just really effectively. Uh, but you know, that's uh, hurricanes were another big big thing for me, and I and I traveled. To all over the country doing dozens of those and you know it just it's it's reminded me of how crazy the job can be sometimes when you are driving toward the danger and everyone else is driving away from it um, but that's that that's what the job is often and and it's something that I really enjoy doing what what do you think uh, about uh, how reporting has changed over the time that you were out there um in terms of the quality of reporting on major events, whether it's natural disasters or war or a terrorist attack, um, and and just then sort of the everyday news of 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 the everyday news coverage as well. Well, that's a, that's a big question, yeah. and you know, unfortunately, in many cases, news has been uh, watered down, and quite often you'll see people reporting from from great distances from where the actual event is happening, and. Part of that is just the financial cost of going to cover big stories, and in many, in many cases, networks don't want to spend the money. You know, they just they'd rather keep their people in a in a glassed-in studio downstairs, and they can just say, "Well, over in Afghanistan," and then they can start reporting on what's happening from thousands of miles away. And, and that happens all too often. It, it even happened when I was at Fox uh, on occasion, and it would frustrate me because I wanted to be where the action was. I wanted to go where it was happening. And, that's really what, what my book is about, is, is all of those crazy adventures going to where the stories were and being on the ground, watching them unfold and being a witness to history. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I, I saved almost every reporter notebook that I used in the field and kept them in boxes and on shelves in my office. And then when I decided to start writing the book, I just started pulling all these notebooks out. And I had original notebooks from 9-11, from... Afghanistan, from Iraq. Some of them were 30, 30 plus years old. I, I found a notebook from Chicago when I worked at WFLD. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there, that Chicago uh, story makes up, you know, it's in the book. Um, so there's, there's a lot, a lot of great stories in there. A lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff that people probably wondered what was going on, you know, the, what they're not seeing on TV. And, and that's, part of what I wrote about. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a, like a detailed eyewitness account, which is, is a great uh, a great service to go back and remember exactly what happened and who did what and so on and so forth. The 
from from your notes that happened in real time. You know, it's interesting you say that, too, about you want to go where the action is. My friend Mike Tobin, who's a, a longtime Fox News correspondent, covers um, he spends a lot of time covering the Midwest, as you know. Um, he yeah. says the same thing about like the action. I mean, do you think uh, like a, a reporter needs in, in order to really uh, have the chops to be a reporter needs to be in a, a situation in, in some situations like you were in a, a war, a terrorist attack? Uh, um, you, I know you covered uh, Sully landing the plane on the Hudson too. something like that. Yeah. You don't you don't make your chops until you do a story like that. Well, I, I do believe that, that the best reporters are the ones who've been tested, who have uh, been in the fire and have seen it firsthand and experienced it and then can relate that to viewers. You need to be a great storyteller. You need to be uh, a great writer. But you also need to, I believe, be on the ground uh, as close to the action as you can be and, and to be tested so that you can then share those experiences and it helps build character and it helps give you um, the background for the next big story. One one of my senses about uh, the change in uh, coverage, news coverage over the last couple of decades is that more and more reporters pull punches, more and more reporters have sacred cows and they'll do the bidding of particular individuals or interests. And I wonder, I wonder if you agree that that is more prevalent and if you ever had to uh, encounter uh, pressure to do exactly that. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Um, it, it, I, I would agree that uh, things have become very fractured and um, opinionated, and there are definitely um, uh, favoritism being shown on the air in, in many cases. And it's unfortunate. And yes, there are bosses who want a certain agenda injected into stories. And I, on occasion, would be pressured or encouraged to include a certain uh, angle to a story. Uh, it didn't happen all that often, but it did happen on occasion. And, and, you know, for me, I was in a position where I could say no, or I could say that's not really the story that we're seeing on the ground here. That's not the direction that I think the story is taking. Or this is what we're planning to talk about today, and you know that that that's what I would try to gravitate toward. Like, listen, we're the ones who are here. We're seeing what's really happening. But you know, if if if, the, if it's a younger reporter without experience, if it's someone who's just doing the bidding of their boss, who's some who's that worried about losing their job, then they're going to do what they're told to do, and uh, it, it doesn't. It be, it becomes. I hate to say, it, but it can be fake news. Or, know, or the yeah. yeah the, and the and the other thing too is like oh I I don't want to lose access to this person so I'm going to spike something yeah. that otherwise I otherwise would report or I'm going to cast something in a way I would cast differently based on the truth yeah. but I want because I, know, I, I need to protect this source. Yeah, I didn't do a lot of politics fortunately right. for me. I never really right. was that interested in politics. I wanted to do you know what I would consider more real news, uh, the stuff that's really happening that affects people on the ground. Um, not the politics can on occasion, it does, but right. I just didn't like the politics. And so, you know, I didn't want to be a White House correspondent. I wanted to be a war correspondent. I wanted to be uh, the guy they call the first out the door when there was a, a terror attack or a natural disaster or some kind of major incident. You know, I wanted to go, and I did. I, I went to so many it's, it's mind-numbing how many different crazy things I, I witnessed over the years. And, and yeah, that's why I wanted to write the book, because I had all these stories, and 
I felt like they they should be told. But but access too, it, it doesn't. It's not, as you say. It, it sometimes uh, raises rears its ugly head, even where you least expect it. But I mean, like covering, cover being a, a war correspondent. You want access to the military brass. You want, you know, you want access to decision makers, and so, yeah. you know, the the pressure to man, don't cast them in a in a negative light because I I need to be able to talk to them. I need to be able to get information from them. Uh, it's, it's it's funny you say that. There were a couple times in Iraq and '03 when we were embedded with the Marines. You know, they, they didn't put a lot of restrictions on us. It was mostly just you can't talk about where you're going or where you are exactly right now, but you can talk about everything that's happened up until this point. And there, were, there weren't a lot of other rules, but there were a couple of times when I reported things, and there are stories in the book about this, when the brass came up to me and said, hey, uh, can you tone that down? Can you pull back on that? Like when we were running out of food and we were down to one MRE a day, one meal ready to eat, and and the general, uh, some of the generals called my battalion commander and said, hey, can you tell him to stop talking about Food, you know, wives and families of Marines back home are worried their 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 boys are starving out here, and they asked me, and I said, no, I'm sorry, but you know, this is what's going on. Like we don't, we we are down to one MRE a day, and I'm not going to not report that. That's what's really happening. Uh, so I, I, you know, there were a couple other incidences, but you know, it's, you have to pick and choose, I guess, if you're in a position where you know they're going to potentially leave you, you know, at the side of the road and just carry on without you. Then I guess you know you have to do what you have to do, but that didn't, fortunately, that didn't happen to me. All right, so now that you're retired, I mean, other than writing this book, how do you get your adrenaline fix? Um, you know, it, I did this for so long uh, that I really felt like I needed a break, and I took a, close to a year and just traveled with my wife and, and enjoyed the life of Southern California, and uh, and then we started doing a podcast together, and so every day I, I do shows. I'm still doing stuff on YouTube. And on Patreon.com, the Rick and Kelly show with my wife, Kelly, former Kelly Dodd, um, we do daily shows. And I'm like back to my roots where I'm setting up the camera and I'm, and I'm recording it and, uh, and then I'm editing and uploading. Um, we do the daily smash every day on our YouTube channel. And, and I get adrenaline from that. We have fun with it. You know, I'm not covering terror attacks. Now I'm covering um, just wacky things happening in the news and, and crazy stuff that happen in our lives. And it's really fun for me. And it's a departure and it's, it's just it's nice to be able to to talk about stuff, you know, on camera without having to, without having to try and meet someone's agenda or having to, you know, tell the story that I was assigned to tell. I can do whatever I want now, and it's it's really liberating. That's great. He is Rick Leventhal, thirty-five years as a correspondent for Fox News Channel. The book "Chasing Catastrophe: My Thirty-Five Years Covering Wars, Hurricanes, Terror Attacks, and Other Breaking News." Rick, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck with the book. Thank you for having me on. And he joins us on the Turnkey.pro Answer Line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Open mic! Open mic Friday! Call in now! Open mic Friday! It's that time of the week, Open Mic Friday, taking your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.proinsuline. Your comments, your compliments, your criticisms, your concerns, your general crack pottery, we'll take it all. Uh, we begin, I have a major announcement to offer up. I mean, it's not major, but it's, I guess, major for me. Uh, I have signed a multi-year extension of my contract here at AM560, so... 
thanks to uh, you all who are listening and to our advertisers. Um, I'm still going to get paid to do this phony baloney job five days a week, so I much appreciate it. I appreciate um, the time I've had here eight years now, and the next several, hopefully I'll have, uh, God willing, and the crick don't rise. But I do appreciate it, and it's been a great, uh, great eight years. This is a great platform. It's a great station. I really enjoy the people and the listeners, and we've got great guests, and we have great conversations, and I'm just a small part of it. But they pay me, so it's all the better. It's approximately, I know people are going to ask, approximately, what was Aaron Judge? What was his contract extension? The Yankees, about $360 million. Give or take. Give or take a few zeros and a few commas. And what's a few zeros and a few commas between friends? So I just want to let you know that uh, they haven't been able to run me off the air quite yet. And thank you very much to all parties involved. All right, let's get to some calls. Elliot and Wilmette, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Dan. Thanks for extending and hanging in there with us. Uh, keep your eye on that crick. Um, I was going to say from your from the uh, uh, earlier in the week and even today, Whenever you get these people talking about what is clearly grooming, you've just got to put on uh, from the movie Airplane, Peter Graves playing the airline pilot with the little kid Billy saying, have you ever watched Gladiator movies? <laughs> you ever hang out in a Turkish bath? Yeah. You just got to have that on. That would that would simp- e- easily set the tone and let people know what's really going on. Sure. And, and, and it's no longer funny. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Yeah, sure. And if... Uh... If you ask the uh, freshman at Francis Parker, have you ever seen a grown man naked? They could all say, yeah, the dean of students. Hi, all Have uh, you ever been in a, in a Turkish prison? Mm-hmm. Do you like it when your dog scraps, rubs you up and down? Uh, Rick in Downers Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Yeah, it's good to hear you're going to be around for a while. Hey, uh, I Thank figured you. out why John Boehner was crying. And yeah. I think he finally realized when he saw Nancy Pelosi, the rot this country's going through, that that mess, Nancy Pelosi, was number three on the depth chart. And that would make anybody cry. Thanks for the call, Rick. If you didn't hear it, here it is. John Boehner at the unveiling of Nancy Pelosi's Dolly-like portrait at the Capitol. Uh, you've been unfailingly gracious, gracious to me, to my family, and... Uh, Frankly, my team here in Washington, and Madam Speaker, I have to say, my girls told me, tell the Speaker how much we admire her. Uh, I mean, I just can't stop laughing. I know that's probably not very charitable in this uh, Christmas season, but I think uh, why Boehner was crying, Rick may be on it, but I think why Boehner was crying is because he was remembering a long time ago when he used to have a penis, and he misses it. Just my guess. Uh, Sean in the Northwest Side, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good, good morning. Um, just wanted to make a comment about the whole St. Francis Parker uh, situation. Why is it that the only toys that were brought in were dildos and butt plugs? Uh, that's not that's not the, the sex toys I like using at all. Really? That's not what I like in the bedroom. Well, so why couldn't they have brought other toys for us cisgender males? Well, Sean, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I assume they'd welcome your input. Uh, maybe you can get a consulting gig over there. Um, to, I mean, uh, I could drop them off if they want. If they want to, I, 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 the I, the other ones. I, I think they have a Dropbox in the uh, in the turnaround in front of the school. So I, I'm sure they'd welcome it. You know. 
And so, you know, it makes you wonder too if those other kids are loners, right? <laughs> are they loners? Yeah, no. I mean, the good news is Francis Parker. Oh, you mean like Francis Parker's hand me downs? Because Francis Parker can afford yeah. the new stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Great question. Great point. No, yeah. Good luck over there. Let us know how you're received. I appreciate that. Have a good one. Yeah, way to be inclusive. Nice job. Rich in Indian Head Park. Hey, good morning, Dan. Great to hear that you're going to be bringing us the truth every day. Thank you. Good to hear that. Uh, what I wanted to say is uh, we're not appointing the best or most qualified people, not only in our school system, but in the government. It seems like to me all I hear is, uh, you know, you hear about the gender or race or their sexuality. You need somebody in these jobs that are going to listen to both sides of a problem and come up with a solution that's good for everyone. You know, and until we do that, um, I don't think we're going to move forward in any, in any way in this country. And the last thing is, you have a you have a good day. Amy, get better soon, and have a good weekend. Thanks, Dan. Right. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. Appreciate your loyal listenership. Uh, Matt Southside. Hi, Dan. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the uh, contract extension. Thank you. Um, I know we were talking about the different uh, adults in these situations as far as the school goes, and how we haven't heard from any of the adults yesterday after hearing you talk about that. I actually looked into it. It looks like uh, Heaven Washington's grandmother, um, who also lives in LaGrange, seemed to get on, I think it was YouTube, and make some comments about how her granddaughter was actually the victim of racism. Right. So that she actually supports her granddaughter putting her hands on or defending herself. And she said that she too was a victim of racism. So she believes that her granddaughter probably was mm-hmm. targeted. And she doesn't seem to have any problem with, as she put it, her granddaughter putting her hands on somebody. If she's, I guess, defending herself. So the video obviously tells the different story. It's, you know, it wasn't just putting your hands on somebody. No, it wasn't. Uh, thanks for the call, Matt. So, Heaven Washington, this is the Lions Township case. We talked about it quite a bit. We did our best to pressure Lions Township school officials and the Western Springs Police Department to offer some sort of statement, as well as parents to come forward. Here we go again. Same thing with York High School. Parents to come forward and speak their piece and call on people to accept responsibility for what occurred. I, we talked about the grandma. And it's funny, the grandma reflected upon her time at Lyons Township because she went there as well. And now she says she experienced racism. Um, Back in the yearbook, in her graduating class, she had nothing but positive things to say about Lyons Township. She seemed like a very happy young woman when she graduated Lyons Township. Now, upon further reflection and in defense of her granddaughter, Lyons Township is a bastion of white supremacy. Very convenient. Uh, what was what's particularly inconvenient, if I can borrow from Shawshank, is the fact that we have video of Heaven Washington. We have her friend who videoed it, and she uh, it was established by the school resource officer that she had been targeting this girl that she attacked, who, by the way, is a daughter of a police officer. I remember the story pretty well. Uh, that they the that the daughter had gone to the school resource resource officer saying that Heaven Washington is like stalking me, following me around, looking to to you know give me a beatdown, and that's exactly what happened. Coming out of class, she had her by the hair and she threw her down, and yeah, it was all on video. So there's not a lot in dispute there. The only thing in dispute is 
where are the adults in charge of these school systems? Where are the parents filling the void, of the leadership void, of these school administrators? We just all hide. We all hide. And, you know, I, and everybody's the victim. Nobody's accountable for everything because everybody's been victimized in some way, somehow. And so just keep your head down and bide your time and people forget to move on to the next thing and it'll all go away. And that's the way we're supposed to live, I guess, because that's the way our kids are being taught. That's what our kids are being taught. So I guess that's the highest, best way to live, like a coward. And, you know, something uh, that Maurice uh, from Berwyn asked about when we were talking about Francis Parker last hour about why don't conservatives and uh, get into schools and, and, and you know, but you're confronting men and women without chest, to borrow from C.S. Lewis. What we're teaching kids to be is just their appetites, uh, whether it is uh, whatever the appetite, whether it is sort of professional or personal whether it's career success or uh, food or sex or uh, goods that confer status. We're just appetites. There's no wisdom being imparted. There's no character being formed. And it seems to me the mistake that conservatives have made in the, sort of these larger fights, whether conservatives go into some of these professions that are dominated by the left or not, is that, and I've made this mistake in politics too, we try to say, okay, well, all people care about is uh, their financial interests, so we'll just focus there. And uh, and then it turns out that actually people have been so brainwashed by these institutions that they're happy to see their house liquidated by their state and local governments, and they don't care. They don't know, they don't care, some combination of the two. We say, okay, well, we, uh, we need to tackle some of these other issues too. And so we say, well, parental rights, parental rights, and so we'll just narrowly focus on parental rights, and we won't talk about these larger, uh, more difficult conversations about uh, sexualizing children, about teaching children to uh, treat people differently based on their race, which is an incredible development over the last decade, um, in particular as part of curriculum. But that's what's happened. You're supposed to treat – I mean, this is what Paul Rossi said at uh, uh, the the – prestigious school he taught in New York, Grace Church School, before he was bounced, math teacher. You are telling me at this school that I have to treat my students differently based on race. I won't do it. I'm going to treat them equally, and we're going to hold everybody to the same academic standard when it comes to the coursework. That's a revolutionary idea now. And there needs to be a larger, and I'm not sure I have the answer to it. This is a work in progress. But there needs to be a message and a conversation that speaks to the entirety of the person and the core of the person that that speaks to people's aspirations to be part of big things be seen as a good person doing good things while still in while while instilling a sense of judgment in them so they can distinguish the good things from the not so good things they can distinguish real gold from fool's gold and I just don't think on the right we've done a terribly good job of doing that. And we've lost and, and we haven't really shown the appetite for the fight. And so the other side has run the table by addressing both of those things. We control all the institutions that impact your ability to make money, most of them. 
And we also have this answer for the, the appeal to your soul. What's the appeal? You're a good person if you just repeat diversity, inclusion, tolerance, and don't worry much about the policies or the implications of those policies. Just know that if you're on this side, then you're on the side of diversity, inclusion, and tolerance, and the other side is on the side of hate, and you want to be a good person, so that's all you need to know. Now you've been stamped a good person. You're in this uh, metaphysical position of the good person, and you don't need to worry about those arguments from those other people who you never have to encounter anyway because we control all the institutions that matter. It's a real corner we backed ourselves into. And I don't know that there is an easy way out. But it certainly requires coming out of hiding. I know that much. Marty in Naperville. Yeah, I I'd like to know if you could tell me I can enroll in this Francis Parker School for educational reasons. I'm 64. I have no idea what or why anybody would want to use a butt plug. Uh-huh. Sorry, man. But, yeah. Uh, so, you know, let me know. Thanks. Uh, sure, Mark. I think they would allow adults to audit the class. Um, you know, I'll put you in contact. We'll, we'll put you in contact with Joe Bruner there, the dean of students, and see if uh, you can make some arrangements. You know, I mean, sort of a train-the-trainer type thing. You can learn from kids, right, who learn from their deans and their drag queens. Mm-hmm. All right, Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin, to close it out. Chuck? It's Chuck from Appleton. I had a Christmas party last night, so I'm driving back from the construction company I work for. You guys, I turned on the radio today. I can hear you clear as a bell in Appleton. You should get – oh, and thank you, by the way, for uh, mentioning my garage band, Appetite for the Fight. Uh, it was really good. Right, Tears for Fears uh, cover band? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it was. Hey, uh, uh, everybody, don't forget, I'm going to be uh, Mr. and Mrs. Claus tonight at the bottle shop. hate to advertise, but uh, we had a big crowd, and a lot of people come in, and that's all they do is talk about you guys, that and Sean Thompson. So uh, we're, I'm looking forward to seeing a bunch of listeners again tonight. All Six right, to very eight. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for the call, Santa Claus. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.